0: The reading today is from 2 Peter 3, one to the end. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say where is this coming he promised ever since our ancestors died everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters. Speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall into your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever.
1: Amen. Thanks so much, Robin. Uh, there's, there's an outline that you would have received in the leaflet if you find that sort of thing uh, useful to have in front of you. And if you have 2 Peter 3 also open, if you've got a Bible, that would be really helpful. Uh, the, the the other verses I'll refer to as we go along will come up on the screen, but it's not a not a big deal. I'll uh, read out the verses, but if you've uh, got your Bibles there, that's a useful thing. As Colin said, we're uh, thinking about the end of the world. That's uh, sort of... Uh, the way in which we frame the series, and of course, you like me. Uh, now, there's been lots of end of the world speculation over the years. All sorts of different people have uh, uh, promoted it. Back in 1910, you'll see a picture of this on the screen. Uh, it's the first time people were aware of Halley's comet coming close to the Earth, and it was called the evil eye in the sky. Everyone thought at that time that it was going to hit the Earth, cause an apocalyptic explosion and destroy everything. Now, of course, that, that didn't happen. Uh, perhaps one of the lasting things that occurred out of that event was there were some enterprising young men who made a fortune from the sale of anti-comet pills, right? Very. There's always people who make money out of these sort of things, isn't there? That's what happened. In 2009, there was a film release called 2012, if that makes sense. Uh, and in that film, it predicted that the world would end on the 21st of December 2012, uh, because they said it was going to coincide with when the Mayan calendar uh, ran out. Uh, Right now we've got that that war that's going on between Russia and Ukraine, and there has been that speculation about whether it's going to escalate into a nuclear arms situation and the potential for that to roll on and destroy our world. That's something, of course, that people have been speculating about since the 1960s, when that threat first came on the horizon. It comes up fairly regularly. And, of course, there are plenty of religions, including Christianity, who've been caught up with trying to read the times and predict the indicators of the end and when it would happen. Now, here's the thing. The Bible clearly predicts the end of the world as we know it and tells us that we're moving towards that end point in time. Therefore, of course, it's right for us to be thinking about what the Bible teaches on this. We ought to be doing it because the Bible raises it for us. The technical term for this sort of thinking is uh, eschatology. You don't need to remember that. It's a Greek word that just means the last things. Uh, Effectively, theology on the end is the study of the last things. Uh, That's that's the word that uh, captures it. And what we're going to do is spend three weeks uh, thinking about eschatology or the last things. Today we'll talk about the return of Jesus and why it matters. Uh, Next week, I want to come back and talk about the resurrection of the dead. Uh, By thinking about what happens to those who die now, I've got a funeral this coming Wednesday for someone I've known for 50 years. Okay, And I'm taking that funeral, uh, someone who trusted in the Lord Jesus, what's happened? To Chris what's what's the story there but I also want to think about what happens at the resurrection when Jesus returns So two different issues so we we'll come back and think about that next week and then in week three I want to reflect with you on what heaven will be like okay what heaven will be like I, to be honest, I thought I'd like to think about this for myself. I didn't think I'd thought too much about heaven and what it would be like. So I figured in two weeks' time, we're all going to think about that together because I want to, all right? So that's just an open declaration about uh, what's going on and uh, where we're heading. So let's turn our attention to the last days and the day of the Lord. The last days and the day of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 reads this way. In the last days, scoffers will come. Now, the last days is a phrase that comes up frequently in the New Testament. It's the time between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return to this world. In other words, the period that we're now in is the last days. Right? And this world's been in the last days for 2,000 years so far, and we'll keep being in those those days until Jesus returns, right? Last days. But the New Testament also talks about the last day. And you pick up on that again in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what it says there. The, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, if we went to a place like 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, probably come up on the screen, It talks about concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to throw a diagram on the screen now just to give you the the framework for what we're talking about here. Um, uh, Jesus came into this world. We're about to celebrate his birth and entrance into this world. He died and he was raised from the dead. We're now in the last days until the return of Jesus, which the New Testament calls the day of the Lord. And then essentially the Bible talks about the age to come beyond the return of Jesus. It's not a complicated framework, but it's good to have in our minds about where we're going. Now, I want to talk today about the significance of Jesus' return. But before I do that, I just want to note one thing in particular, that is, the end of the world will not happen because of the forces of nature or global warming or human neglect. The end of the world won't happen because some despotic world leader has a brain snap and triggers a nuclear holocaust, okay? Now, hear me carefully. I'm not saying those things can't occur. Uh, that's that's not what I'm saying. Well, what I'm saying is the timing of the day of the Lord, the way the world ends, everything to do with that, has been planned by God before the foundation of the world and it will be implemented under his divine sovereignty. Right? What I'm saying is there is no chance about this event. It is under God's control. And you pick that up, actually, in the passage we've been looking at. And um, listen to 2 Peter 3, verse 5. Now, Peter says, but they deliberately forget, these are the end of the world deniers, they deliberately forget that by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by the water, right? God created the world by his word from, from nothing, essentially. Then in verse 7, it says, by the same word, The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment. By God's word, the world was made. By the same word of God, the end of the world will occur. Now, can I say, isn't there a wonderful security in knowing that we serve the God of heaven who controls everything all things by his word. Nothing accidental is gonna to happen to you. Nothing accidental is gonna to happen to this world. The one who made it and rules it, rules over its conclusion and how that will occur. No? Really important for us just to have that squared away in our brains. So let me move on. What, what will happen on the last day and does it matter? Like, is is this just trivial pursuit truth or does it have impact? So the Guinness Book of Records is full of trivial pursuit truth and astonishing records. I came across this one, Uh, Don Sheldon, on the 24th of November, 2001, born in the USA. He set a world record, okay? Anyone know what his world record was? I'd be stunned if you do, but uh, I thought I'd give you a chance, right? World record, right? Here's his world record. He put 21 live scorpions in his mouth for 18 seconds, right? Uh, uh, You might feel inspired to go home and give this a shot yourself, right? Perhaps not. I wouldn't think. Here's the crazy thing about this world record. He broke his own world record, right? (laughs) You've got to wonder what's going on in this guy's brain, really. Uh, Can I say that the, the return of the Lord, right, the day of the Lord is not trivial pursuit information, right? It's not, um, you know, a good to know fact and I'm going to store it away in my computer now. How interesting, you know. It's not like that. It has huge impact on the way in which we we live. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 describes Jesus' return to this world as a day of justice uh, Two Thessalonians one verse six. It'll come up on the screen. It says, "God is just; He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to those who are troubled, and to us as well." Right? There's a day of justice that's spoken of here, and uh, nothing escapes God's attention. Even though we don't always see justice in this world right now, we don't really do we? Uh, but there is a day coming when we will see it, 2 Thessalonians 1, 1, verse 7. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He'll punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of our Lord. Uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 7 says the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly is coming. First and what's important, um future uh, future and salvation all rest on this truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse twelve. It says, All be condemned who have not believed in the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Now this is a really um, confronting truth and it's very easy to shy away from it i think and yet it's it's real the day of jesus return is the day of ultimate accountability on that day everyone will be assessed on the way in which they have responded to god how they have treated god whether they've trusted in jesus the one who died for them so that they could be forgiven do you understand eternity is at stake? It is a critical day to bear in mind and to understand the importance of it. What I want to do just for a few moments is to uh, reflect on the ways in which if we get our understanding of this day and its importance wrong, the way in which it can affect our lives in profound ways. It has extreme consequences, I think. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, the biggest mistake you can make, of course, is thinking this day is not going to happen. Uh, that's, that's what you pick up in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, scoffers will come on the last day, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Uh, forever, since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. You get the point, don't you? I mean, life has just gone on the way it's always gone on for 2,000 years. Why should we think it's going to change? But then in verse 5 it says this, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water, and by these waters of that time, uh, the world was deluged and destroyed. Notice what it says, they deliberately forget. And when I uh, reflect on uh, the nature of uh, people's rejection of Jesus, uh, I, I don't think I normally put it in the deliberately reject Jesus sort of category. And it's the same when it comes to the return of Jesus back to this world. And yet that's the way in which the Bible presents it. That is, people who ignore God are accountable for it. It's bit like if you're walking down the street and you saw a friend coming towards you, right? Owen, say, Owen was walking towards me on the pavement. So okay, you don't have to get up. <laughs> and Owen uh, saw me and thought, oh, Paul Harrington he's the last person I want to talk to. So he crosses over the other side of the street and just walks down the other side, right? Now, at that point, Owen would be deliberately ignoring me. You get the point, I'm making a choice to avoid me at that point. The Bible actually presents the reality that people, because of their heart and intentions deliberately turn their back on God. And that means there's an accountability attached to it. And if uh, that is the case, we're accountable for our rejection of the return of the Lord Jesus uh, to our world. I'm going to throw up another diagram and show you what I think this looks like. So um, the the resurrection of Jesus has occurred. I'm just saying it's a fact. And people live in this age as if, Jesus is not returning, right? That turns them into the never-ending last days, you know, that is, they'll just go on as they always have. Uh, That's the way in which it presents it here. And if you have that sort of view of the world, then it eventually leads to certain conclusions, right? You you dismiss the idea of uh, sin um, or uh, the necessity of Jesus' resurrection or return, Uh, You don't think there's ever going to be a day of judgment. There's no accountability to God that's coming. Um, Who knows when the world will end, if it's going to, because you might still believe the world will end, uh, but you live as if it's not going to. You just live for today. When it comes to morality, I just decide what's right for me. Uh, When it comes to death, is there anything that lies beyond death? Well, the jury's out, but generally I find that people think if there is something Um, beyond death, they think it will be compulsory happiness for everybody in some form or another. You know, like it's that sort of view of the world that operates. Maybe there might be a concern for this world, uh, you know, a social conscience or an environmental concern. That makes sense. If the world's all you've got, you would look after it. And uh, people, that's what happens if you dismiss the idea of Jesus' return. But I think, and I suspect most of us here today will fall into this category, we will be people who believe in Jesus, uh, but it's very easy for us to get the return of Jesus wrong too and to just skew it in unhelpful sorts of ways. Let me talk about a few ways in which I think we can get this wrong. The first that comes up in 2 Peter is to focus on the timing.
0: Thank uh, you.
1: To speculate about when it's going to happen and get preoccupied with the signs of the end of the age. Notice in 2 Peter 3 verse 10, it says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, like a thief. Now, um, Sue and I, not for a few years now, but I reckon our house was broken into and robbed maybe three times. Uh, And on each of those three occasions, I noticed that the thief didn't ever tell us when they were coming. Uh, they didn't sort of put a note in our letterbox saying, Plain need to come by Wednesday morning and rob your house. Be really handy if you weren't there, okay? Not a little, like real estate agents always put those sort of letters in our letterbox, but not thieves, I've noticed, okay? Um, the day of the Lord is described as like a thief. You know the point there? We're not going to know when it's going to happen. That's exactly... Uh, the point of that, that description. Some think that the, there's a difference between not knowing and thinking it won't make much difference to my life now. And I think that's wrong. And there are a few ways you can get that wrong. There are some Christians who think that uh, we should get a lot of the benefits of heaven, that is, after Jesus returns, Now. They think not just that this age for a believer is about forgiveness and peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but rather there are things that are reserved for heaven that we should get now, things like health or wealth or victory over sin. I'm going to throw another diagram on the screen. Oh, it's already up there. It's good. So this is is the view that is thinking that some of the benefits of the age to come we experience right now in these last days. Things like... um, uh, thinking God will uh, you know, always heal us or tend to heal us from our diseases or that we'll be wealthy people or, as I said, victory over sin. Now, understand Christians at this point are not thinking Jesus has returned yet. They just think they're getting the benefits as if he has returned. Right? That's That's what's going on here. Now, can I say this view has a number of risks attached to it? It can really undermine people's trust in God if you've got this view. See, what happens when you get cancer and you're not healed? If you have a view that God should be healing you in this world? Uh, I, I think it can be really destructive. You can think, well, what have I done wrong? It must be my sin that God's not listening to me. There's all sorts of ways in which that's unhelpful. This view also overlooks what the Bible teaches very clearly. If you go to a place like Romans chapter 8, it speaks about the fact that this world is a place of groaning, of suffering, and that that will be the case until Jesus returns. Um, This sort of view causes you to tend to idolise the world you live in too. That is because you think life is all about God blessing you in this world now. And therefore, you tend to attach yourself to the things of this world to give you joy and pleasure. Uh, you overattach yourself to those. and then it also causes you to change the gospel when you're presenting it to others. So instead of focusing on uh, the rebellion against God that everyone has, the need for forgiveness and having a right relationship with God. We tend to distort it and say, but really what God wants to do is bless your life in this world now. And that tends to just divert our attention into what's important. If I was going to talk about the danger that uh, I think uh, the risk for me or the people in our churches around the Trinity Network, what would it be? Uh, It's not the view that was just on the board. Um, We do believe that Jesus will return one day, but we are very clear on the fact that we don't know when that's going to happen. Now, one of the risks with that is we get vague about the return of Jesus. Sure, it's going to happen someday, but then we go on living, actually, as if we don't know. So we make the here and the now the most important, uh, just by leaving it to one side. So the diagram i will throw out now is that sort of picture, that is, in the last days, the return of Jesus will happen sometime, right, you yeah, sort of into the future. But because we don't know when, we tend to get tied to the things of this world. And there are risks attached with that. Um, we can not value enough the things that God promises about dwelling with him for all eternity. Uh, We can not dwell enough on the promises he makes in the face of death and dwelling with him for all eternity. We can actually, I think, tend to overinvest in the things of this world as much as the previous few I was talking about, okay? They're they're the sort of risks of misapplication. What I'm going to do, though, for just a few minutes is, is therefore talk about how we prepare for the day of the Lord well. Okay, how do we prepare well? I think the first thing to have squared away in our brains is to understand the reason for the delay. Uh, It comes up in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. We're told there, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slowness. You know, the picture of it's been 2,000 years, what's taking so long, right? Not slow. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If the day of the Lord happened today, we would all stand before God, the judge of the whole world, who is totally full of integrity, all knowledge and complete insight into every single one of our lives. That's the reality. And so I guess I want to ask, are you ready for that? Today, does it find you ready? Because God delays so that we can prepare ourselves, so we can repent. What does does repentance mean? I remember when one of our kids was much younger. He was about three or four years old. We had a rule in our house before you had those sort of fuse breakers where kids weren't allowed to play with electric appliances until they were 33. You know, it was that sort of you know it was dangerous, so we didn't let them do it. He was about three, and we were in bed one morning, but we could hear this child who will remain unnamed, David. Uh, he, um, we heard him sort of going down the hallway into the kitchen, and we heard him put a piece of toast in the toaster and the spring on the toaster you know, bring, you know, and uh, Sue and I sort of flipped a coin to see who would go and sort this out. I think Sue won, and uh, that is she had to go and do it. Uh, so she went out to the kitchen while David was waiting for his toast to pop and said, David, what are you doing? And uh, David immediately broke into, sorry, mum, sorry, mum, sorry, 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 mum, sorry, 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 sorry mum. You know, he just kept saying it over and over again. And uh and I remember I could hear this, you know, I was laughing. Sue couldn't laugh. But um Sue then said to David, David, what does sorry mean? And he said, I won't get a smack. <laughs> and uh uh he uh, it's the truth about that, isn't there? That is sorry at that point meant He would avoid judgment. I think actually that's the picture of repentance in the Bible. Sending away from sin actually means escaping judgment. But it also means a change of direction. Verse 3 talks about following our own desires. Verse 5 of 2 Peter 3 talks about deliberately forgetting God. Here's the reality for all humanity. We all push God to one side to do our own thing. So the question I've got is, have you repented? See, have you let God be the boss of you and determined that you will serve him with your life? That's, that's the most important thing to get squared away when you're thinking about the return of Jesus. Second thing is, are you thankful that God delays the day of the Lord? Uh, there are lots of ways in which I wish the day of the Lord would come soon. As I said, I'm taking a funeral on Wednesday. I know the grief that death death brings. Uh, I'm surrounded with heartache and suffering in lots of different ways that I see in people around the network, people I love. Uh, I see injustice happening in people's lives. I do long for the day of the Lord. But I'm also glad that God holds off because while many have repented, Many of my family and friends have not repented. And I'm really thankful that God holds back, creates space, so that people can turn and believe and live. It's Colin was talking about the importance of, you know, having our networks open, being invitational, wanting people to come under the sound of the gospel. And then finally, I want to talk about living with the, the end in mind see if you knew that jesus was returning at 3 45 this afternoon how would it affect you what would you do i think my brain would just go into spasm you know know, like there are a million things i think i should be doing i'm not sure i do any of them Uh, but isn't that the point of this passage actually we don't know the time so we don't go into that sort of spasm head spinning thing you know but nonetheless the reality of jesus return it does actually affect the way in which we live. There was a survey done in the United States earlier this year which asked people to respond and tell the things they were most worried about as they thought about uh, the future of this world. My preaching's obviously been terrible. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> so it was a survey. Um, uh, what were people most worried about? So given the last couple of years we've had, you think, well... You know, is it COVID or maybe the war between, you know, Russia and Ukraine? Um, interestingly enough, the thing that people were most worried about was the economy, whether they'd have enough money. And I think it'd be exactly the same in Australia today. Our culture is attached to what we can see, taste, touch and feel. But here's the thing. The day of the Lord tells us that this world has a use-by date. And that's meant to shape our behaviour and our thinking. 2 Peter 3 verse 11, it talks about in the light of the day of the Lord that we should live holy and godly lives. In verse 14 it says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, the day of the Lord, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him the reality of that truth is meant to shape you. It's interesting that uh, when the AFL season finishes, all the AFL players start training, right, months out from the start of a new season, it's a picture of preparing for the future. And it's meant to be the same for Christians, living lives that honour God now, as we anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it shapes our priorities in this world. Uh, A couple of years ago, I saw footage of a bushfire that was uh, raging down York's Peninsula. And like they do, the the news hounds like to interview people who've been devastated by those sorts of events. And I remember seeing this young couple out in front of their house that had just been burnt to the ground. It was just ashes. And uh, the reporter had the camera on them and it always feels so intrusive. But then the microphone in front of their face and said... You've lost absolutely everything. How do you feel, right? You think, oh, you know, and yet I remember the response. It was such an intrusive moment that the husband, this this young father and husband, he said, no, no, that's not not right. Sure, we've lost our house. We've lost lots of our, our gear in our house, our personal effects, our car. All those things we've lost. But we haven't lost anything that's of importance. It's quite profound. He said, my whole family is completely safe and that's what matters. It's perspective what's going on. Listen to 2 Peter 3.10 again. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The day of the Lord, the images of a, a purifying fire. So, friends, what what do you think will endure past the bushfire on that last day? What will what will last? What will be important? then, what will endure into eternity? And once you work that out, uh, friends, we have to let those things dominate our minds and our hearts and our time and our energy and our money and our concerns. The day of the Lord is meant to profoundly shape the way in which we function. In the here and the now, can I pray for us? Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We do. Uh, we thank you that you warn us so very clearly about the future you have for us. And we don't know the day or the uh, the hour or the minute when the Lord Jesus will return, but we know that's totally within your sovereign control, and you do it for our good. And for your glory, and Father, we pray that the the truth of it, just like you created the world, we know you'll bring this world as we know it to an end. We pray that that truth will be so firmly embedded in our thinking, and our hearts, and minds that it will shape the way in which we live, our concern for those around us, our concern not to be embedded in a good world uh, that's temporary and will lead us into your very presence in due course. Not to make this the end, but actually to see it as a serving of you in a good world until you come to conclude things. Father, we pray that you will shape our minds and hearts to make us of eternal value for your glory and honour. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.